Hey everyone, we're back with the Sons of Sequoia podcast. SOS number three. Our third hey, episode. What? Huh, what? Hey, let's start talking, David. All right, it's our third episode. Today's theme is unity. Uh, we're going to try to parse that word unity and uh, and have a one-hour conversation about unity. So let's uh, get into it. What do you think, uh, how would you define unity? I mean, I think no, we're, I... Talking, we're talking about it because it was the, the theme of the inauguration speech last Wednesday, uh, and we're here, you know, five days later. Uh, but a lot of people seem to say, you know, his actions, Joe Biden's actions since getting into office, say that they're not unity. Um, unity is doing exactly what we want. And I think that a lot of people would take exception to that, but we're here to talk about unity in a broader sense. So, so let's get into it. Yeah, I think unity can mean different things to different people, uh, like any, any word. Uh, and I think the last podcast, David, you were saying people uh, stand where they sit or sit where they stand or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think the way they define unity, it depends on their position and where they, where they are. But I think unity, as far as government is concerned, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think that uh, people have different views of what unity is. And when I think of when I think of unity, uh, this from what Biden was saying in a president in our country, I, I keep thinking I can't help to get away from the fact that, you know, people will do things differently. Uh, and I think it was Biden that said, uh, don't don't uh, uh, doubt anyone's uh, intent or morals, but you can question their judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way you do things is one thing, but. We all should have a common goal. And to me, if we're united in a common goal, we may get there in different ways. There's a lot of different ways to achieve a goal or an objective. But if we have a common goal, to me, that's unity. And um, and I think the goal is not uh, to tear down the tear down the capital. The goal is to support the rule of law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether you like it or not, you may not agree with it. But unity means, well... We're going to make this work uh, one way or the other. Uh, you know, like I was reading the uh, Constitution, and it says, we the people, and it's from the people, uh, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and ensure domestic tranquility, uh, promote the general welfare. welfare. And uh, storming, of, uh, in storming the Capitol really is not, is undermining the government it's not promoting uh the the domestic tranquility or the or justice establish justice you don't establish justice by trying to tear it down <laughs> yeah you try to promote it and so i think it's a common goal is the unity it's not like oh you're doing that so that that's not what i want so we're not united i think unity is much deeper than that it's not just your actions but it's your ultimate goal mm-hmm like we disagree, but we are not questioning each other's motives. We both are united in the knowledge that we want what's best. We just have, through our judgment, our differences in judgment, have made different determinations of how to get there. Right. But then in our country, we both agree that we're going to have a procedure, a policy, and a way to establish uh a, a rule of law. 
Mm -hmm. And they were all going to agree that whether we agree it's right or not, we're going to follow that law. And tearing down the law uh, is not establishing justice. And we say this law is there to establish and promote justice. Yeah. And you don't establish or promote justice by tearing down the rule of law. <laughs> yeah. You don't That's... you don't promote unity by storming a capital. And I think, you know, these people that are upset with Biden's first week, you know, he undid the Muslim ban and he undid, you know, he rejoined the Paris Climate Accords and they're saying, how is it unity to undo what our guy did? You know, we should be united in banning Muslims from our country or you know, not trying to reach any specific pollution goals. You should be united with us in that. That's what we want. But I think what what Biden is saying is we saw uh, disunity. We saw uh, insurrection. We saw people march on the Capitol. And if you think that your actions had no bearing on that state of affairs, that you know, these policies that are, you know, let, let's ban Muslims, people from Muslim countries from coming into our country. And you see these people waving Confederate flags and wearing, you know, neo-Nazi shirts at the storming of the Capitol. And you can't draw a line to that. You say, oh, no, banning Muslims doesn't have anything to do with, you know, rising racial resentment in this country. That was just something we did to keep our country safe. Uh, I mean, there's an argument to be made for that. But then you're sort of just questioning someone on the judgment. But if you're saying you don't have the right to exercise your power to reverse that because you think that might have been one of the contributing factors to disunity, then what's the point of even winning an election if you can't exercise your power? That's a good point. If you may disagree with what's being said, but you don't undermine the authority and the process and the rule of law mm -hmm. to make that decision or to make that rule, and so that that's totally different. That's that's tearing down the whole institution. It's not just having it's it's subjugating the dis, the the institution uh, to your decision, and that's taking your decision far above what the purpose of the of the country is about. Uh, the other thing too is that so uh, on the floor, you know, on the in the debate on the floor, they were saying in the Senate, there was and even in the in the House. No, they were saying, you know, let's just move ahead. Let's just move ahead. Let let's let's not uh, divide the country anymore. Let's let's just ignore this. And and they say, no, you have to have accountability. Well, that brings up another question about accountability and uh, and uh, and unity. And if you don't hold someone accountable as someone who's trying to tear down, are you condoning it? Uh, do you? Do you uh, flame the fires of division and divisiveness if you don't uh, hold people accountable for when they, uh, one way or the other? But then, how do you do that? And uh, it's above my pay grade here, but it just seems to me like you can't let let this go by without addressing it, because I think it can flame the fires of division uh, and flame the fires of tearing down unity. Mm -hmm. I, I think that it'll embolden the next person to do. I mean, it's difficult to to stake out a position without feeling like you're just parroting something someone else has said. 
because I think that Nancy Pelosi said something to this effect, but it's like, if you don't hold uh, someone accountable, especially Trump, for this uh, storming of the Capitol where five people, including a cop, died, it'll teach every future president that during the lame duck session, you could do whatever you want. And I think that argument holds a little bit of water. I, I, it's difficult when you say something that a, a Democratic leader said, and you're like, you're just a propaganda, you know, you're a mouthpiece for someone else's thoughts. But I do think there's a risk uh, for the next person to say, well, I want to do something a little bit corrupt. And the last guy caused a violent gang of people to breach the Capitol, and they killed a cop. And a bunch of people died. So what I want to do that's corrupt, that's certainly not nearly as bad. I might as well do it because they're not going to punish me. They didn't even punish the last guy. I think that's, there's truth to that. There's, that argument is valid. Do you feel like that argument's valid? Like by not punishing someone or holding them accountable for their actions? In this instance, the next time it may be worse. It may be less bad, but there's a precedent set that you don't punish someone. Well, if there's no punishment to a law, uh, it's not really a law. It's more of a suggestion or a, <laughs> uh, a wish. It's it's a hope, you know, and it says, you know, do this because if you don't, this is the punishment. This is the consequences. And um, if we don't if we don't um, address what happened on January 6th, then there are consequences of not addressing it. So yeah, uh, Trump has consequences of doing what he did, and we should hold him accountable. But if we don't hold him accountable, accountable, there's consequences to that also. And the consequences to that is much greater tearing down our country in the future. Uh, and so I think something needs to be done. But then again, what? Uh, what needs to be done? You shouldn't ignore it. Because just like you're saying, David, that's that's not good because that's that's introducing a precedent that's going to have a consequences that's going to be dire to our country and our rule of law. But by holding them accountable. Then how do you move forward? How do you move, hold them accountable in s such a way that it promotes the rule of law in our country and the democracy and a republic, uh, not only uh, for the domestic tranquility, but also uh, for future posterities and also uh, for today, uh, the uh, uh, the world for uh, foreign affairs, for our allies and also our, our adversaries. Mm -hmm. So I think the people in Congress have have a very important job uh, in debating and deciding uh, this this impeachment trial uh, because there are stakes much, much greater, I think, than just one man. Uh, it's the country. And they shouldn't be thinking of the, the, the party, uh, the political party, uh, the person uh, involved. Um, they should be thinking of the country and how the country is moving forward. Mm -hmm. And it's not ignoring it. Ignoring it would have consequences far greater than holding this person accountable for what happened. Because it wasn't the person, it was the act. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, what you're saying is, right, it's above your pay grade. or You're not in the Senate. 
you don't get to decide what's the extent of the punishment for, for what's been done, or should he be punished at all? Uh, and I think at the end of the day, he may not be punished at all. There may not be enough votes to punish him. But also, we're sort of, you know, Monday morning armchair quarterbacking it. And I think it's important to say, you and me, where you stand depends on where you sit. As, as citizens, as just regular old citizens, we don't hold office. We're just two people talking on the internet. Uh, <laughs> yep, we uh, are. <laughs> uh, like, who are we to say, I think he shouldn't be allowed to hold office again. I think he should have his Secret Service funding stripped. I think he should not have his travel budget. All of those things are things that they'll explore in terms of when he gets convicted what is the punishment they'll levy? But that's also above our pay grade. It's, I think when I hear people say they should toss him in jail, that's anger. And I'm not sure that it serves the country to, to throw somebody in jail that was just the leader. Uh, just like I thought when you know, Trump sort of got to office on lock her up. That was one of his slogans, build the wall, lock her up. They're all three word slogans. He didn't lock her up. And I think if he had, if he would have locked Hillary up, that would have been a horrifying sentiment, uh, horrifying precedent for the country. Uh, jailing past leaders or political opponents, it's, it's a third rail. You don't really want to start doing that. Uh, but punishing them for inciting an insurrection, that's where you were elected to the Senate because you have to make those hard decisions. And that we weren't elected to the Senate. So I suppose... Uh, how and if you punish someone, uh, that's their decision, and that's not our job. And thankfully, we can talk about it, but that's not a decision we're going to end up having to make. Well, we talk about principles, and I think we should. I think every American, to be an American, should talk about the principles of why we're here. Uh, but how those principles play out and the decisions that are made, uh, as you say, David, we're not in Congress. We don't have all that information. We don't see it from that perspective. Uh, we see it from a very narrow perspective. And everyone should, should understand and promote the principles of our government. But as far as the details of how it plays out, I think uh, the elected officials, that's their responsibility. Uh, and we have trusted them. And if we believe in the principle of rule, then we will trust them and we will support them. And if they do something that really undermines our government, then we have our vote. It gets back to the Constitution, the we the people. It is a very interesting uh, experiment that our forefathers began. And if you start thinking about it, every Amer I think every American should understand that we should we should understand the principles of our government. But we should also understand our elected officials and the, the job they have to do. And they're doing their job. And uh, if they don't do their job, then we can vote them out and vote someone else in. That's why we have the structure that we have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think uh, I was reading that, uh, I guess, uh, it's been said that every constitution every 19 years should be uh, rewritten. But uh, is our constitution outdated? I don't think so. Uh, I think it still lives on uh, because it's not the Constitution that lives. It's the people, the people that support the precepts in that Constitution. 
but that constitution is a principle. We're talking principle here, David. Yeah. Uh, but then our elected officials, they're the ones who have to make decisions. And those decisions have to support the principles. And I'm kind of glad I'm not there because this is a... And also, it's kind of like... I don't think... The way I see it is that there's no one way to do this. There's no right way to do this. There's no perfect way to do this. Uh, and actually, they said, to, in order to form a more perfect union, you do your best. And whether it's right or whether it's some way could have been better, but they did their best. And I think the American people should support our elected officials as much as we can, uh, as long as they are trying to do their best to create a more perfect union. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I do think there's going to be gamesmanship. Uh, it sounds like Mitch McConnell, he's not completely opposed to to voting to convict. And now, like you said, Joe Biden said, don't question their motives, question their judgment. But I think that his motives are uh, always strategic. It seems like he's a very strategic actor. And as the leader of the minority now, he's saying... This guy, Trump, has proven that he's got a huge base and that huge base isn't capable of winning the House or the Senate. So if we keep this guy, he's like an albatross around our neck. You know, he's a 40 (laughs) percent. He's a 40 percenter. And the party will be doomed to have his base bring us in 40 percent of the votes and we never control the House or Senate again. If we get rid of them, we might be able to push the party back to a majority standpoint. I think that might be one of his strategic calculations <laughs> in voting to convict Trump. So I'm talking principle. <laughs> and what and what you're talking, David, is behind closed doors for the Republican Party. That's what we want to do. So now how do we do it? There's horse <laughs> trading going on. Yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. That's what they're doing. And, and that, I, you know that's what they're doing. And that's why you see the senators um, typically take a more measured stance than, than uh, people in the House of Representatives. Because in the House of Representatives, they draw the districts up so that no Democrat will ever win this district. No Republican will ever win this district. They're just, they're etched in stone. So when your district is 85% Republican... You win by going as far right as possible. When your district is 85% Democrat, you win by going as far left as possible. You outflank your primary competitors on the side of your ideology. And that's how you get these Marjorie Taylor Greens or uh, the black guy on Colorado, Lauren Boebert. Uh, you know, she, she didn't graduate high school, but she's a congresswoman. And, I mean, that's okay. That's That's... It's not a disqualifying thing not to have graduated high school, but uh, I think that her actions have been somewhat concerning since her swearing in three weeks ago. There's a lot of questions about what everyone did uh, on and around January 6th. But uh, yeah, those those are the questions that we're not on the table. We're not Mm. at the table. We're not in the room. Uh, we're not hearing what uh, all the constituents from all across the nation is saying. We don't hear those arguments and those those perspectives, and we can't see how to move forward. But we know what you're saying is the kind of arguments and kind of discussions that need to be made by our elected officials. 
And I think armchair quarterbacks across the nation says they should do this, they should do that, you know. And 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 un, unfortunately, when you have mixed messages from the Senate, the Congress, and the and the and the executive branch, when you have mixed messages, that just creates division, doesn't create unity, because the decisions should be based on your principles. They shouldn't be undermining them or dividing them. So we'll see how this, see what happens here. Again, we said 2020 is going to be interesting, and it was. 2021 is going to be interesting too. Uh -huh. <laughs> January, February, oh my goodness. Uh, what's, what's next? What's around the corner, David? What's happening next? That's a good question. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about something else. Uh, Sounds good. Last episode was vaccine. You got your vaccine. I did. On, and it's been what? Uh, 72 hours, something like that. Uh-huh. How do you feel? I feel, I feel fine. I feel good. Did your arm I hurt? Feel, yeah, it, it hurt a little bit. But I, I was happy because I'm, I just kind of, in my mind, I'm thinking my body is taking this vaccination and preparing itself to ward off uh, uh, the SARS coronavirus. And I, I just feel good about that. I, it just, I needed help. Uh, human, humanity has the intelligence and the ability and the competency to create something that's going to help you. And I think you need to use that uh, when you can. You know, we do that every day. Mm -hmm. Why not do it with the vaccines? I mean, uh, everyone says, oh, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm self-sufficient. No, you're not. You know, did you build your own house? Did you make your own food? Did every, you... every morning when you uh, get yourself a glass of water, there's hundreds, yes. hundreds of millions of dollars of infrastructure that go into getting that water to your tap and making sure that it's clean and safe. Yeah. We depend on each other. Mm -hmm. We support each other. We help each other. We need each other. And so the humans, the the scientists and and their knowledge created this vaccine to help my body ward off this 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 virus that that can kill me. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy. I'm happy for it. So let's talk about this call I got from my buddy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You got you you got to you got to talk about this, David. He's this a, is he's a friend bizarre. of mine. I've known him for a long time. Um, successful guy and. Uh, he calls me up out of the blue. We're just chit-chatting about old times, and and then we start talking about coronavirus. And I think that, like we said, where you stand depends on where you sit. Well, he owns. As do you need to take that? Nope. Was it spam? Yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Go. He's talking about how he just wants it all to be over. He thinks it's a hoax, and. And people just need to get back to normal. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't wear a mask. He's already had it twice, he thinks. Uh, and he's like, you don't wear a mask? He's like, well, I wear it around my chin. But if someone asks me to wear it, I'll pull it up for a second and I'll pull it back down. And it's like, the thing is, I'm just not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. And I'm like, yeah, but it's killed all these people. He's like, they say. But I heard that doctors get paid $10,000 every time they say someone died of coronavirus. And I said, I know doctors. And... That's not true. I know doctors that are working in the ICU. That's not true. And he's like, oh, that's what I heard. That's the information I get. And it's like, where'd you get your information from? He's like, oh, I'll look it up. You know, I'm sure that he got it from some wacko Facebook group. 
<laughs> and uh, and then I said, yeah, well, you know, everything's going to get back to normal. I just, I can't wait till I can get vaccinated. And he's like, you're going to do that? Well, I heard a lot of dangerous stuff about the vaccine. It causes Bell's palsy and it causes this and that and that. And I thought it was so strange. You're not afraid of this disease that's killed 400,000 people, but you're afraid of the cure? Like, <laughs> it's it's bizarre. Uh, the vaccine hasn't killed 400,000 people. And uh, I, I don't know, it was a strange conversation just to sort of run into someone in the wild who, I, it's like Barack Obama said, it's difficult to see eye to eye with someone when you're operating on two completely different sets of facts. And it was clear to me, and this guy, he owns a, a, some businesses that require face-to-face uh, -face contact. And I think that the pandemic, and especially the state-mandated closures of these businesses, obviously was harmful. And I think when that happens, you get online and you say, they're, they're shutting this stuff down. They're hurting me. They're hurting my livelihood. I'm going to try to find information on the internet that supports my hypothesis that the coronavirus isn't dangerous. And so you end up on imright.com. That's how internet searches go. You know, I want to find proof that the world is flat. Well, you can find, if you're determined, hundreds of websites that say, here's proof that the world is flat. And I mean, that's one of the issues with the internet. And then if you try to argue with a I don't know, an astronaut who's been in the space shuttle and seen the world. <laughs> They'll say, you're just part of a conspiracy. And uh, like I said, it's not that he's dumb. It's just where you stand depends on where you sit. And when you see this thing uh, sort of ruining your business model, you want to find reasons to discredit this thing. But I think the interesting thing is, when your stated goal is, I want everything to get back to normal, it's bizarre when science develops a mechanism by which things can get back to normal that you discount that as well, which is the vaccine. You know, the mechanism that science develops that'll allow things to get back to normal, you say, I don't trust that because you've already established a baseline of, I don't trust what the scientists are telling me. So it's fascinating to me. You don't trust science, but you'll trust you'll trust conspiracies. Yeah, you'll trust some guy on the internet. I heard this on the internet. Yeah, so it's not it's not logic. It can't be logic. It can't be truth. It, uh, uh, I heard Fauci talking about it's nice to get back to science and truth, and and saying uh, what's happening about science. Mm-hmm. But if you, I mean, I think that's the issue with conspiracy theories or, you know, if you want to find information about your viewpoint, uh, whether you're wrong or you're right, you'll find information about your viewpoint that says that you're right. I think that's the way that the internet leads you. They lead you down the path of confirming your biases. Because... Uh, I don't know. And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll just wear the mask around my chin. And if someone tells me to wear it, I'll pretend like I'm putting it up and I'll pull it back down. And it's like, you sound like you're part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the impression I got, it's, and it's 
not asking a lot, you know, to wear a mask. It's, it's really not. It's, they're not that uncomfortable. Uh, so it's more of an act of defiance to say, I'm against coronavirus, therefore I'm against wearing a mask. And the weird thing is that that act of defiance helps the coronavirus more than it helps anyone else. Well, the people who have that position, I think, uh, have never been in an ICU. They've never had a loved one die. They never have. They've never seen a friend uh, in anguish, uh, sorrow, because they, they they never heard someone close to them say, "If they had only worn a mask." they would still be alive today. They didn't, they haven't seen that. They haven't witnessed that. And it's sad uh, that it's not a hundred people or one in a thousand, it's over 400,000 people have died. And when you ignore that, I th that it's really sad uh, that they, they've never seen that. So maybe they should, mm -hmm. maybe they should uh, uh, look and listen and watch these people and say, well, you know, maybe there's more more important things than than say my my position or my job or my company. And maybe there's more important things like life. Uh, but what is important to you? Are you willing to sacrifice your family uh, or your loved ones uh, for your for your business to earn a buck? Mm -hmm. Some people are because they've never experienced the sorrow of losing someone close to them. But I'm sure that through this process, people have lost their family because they've lost their livelihoods. You know, if you went into last year and your situation was, your family and financial situation was dangling by a thread, well, coronavirus didn't help. So I'm sure that it has broken up families. It has. Uh, so, I mean, but I think I th that's, it's important to have that that's level. Biden is, that's what Biden is saying. He says, I'm going to attack this virus first. And so he's creating a, a program to, to actually attack it. And I think uh, and I think that's why Biden is, a, is attacking this so strongly. Like, this is this is wartime. These people are dying and we have to get the country back on track. But, yeah, it's important to have the level of empathy that people's lives have been severely disrupted and made worse by the measures we took to fight the coronavirus. Uh, and their anger sort of causes them to say, the coronavirus wasn't that bad. It was the preventative measures that cost me my family or my job. It was the preventative measures that made me go on food stamps or take out unemployment. It was the preventative measures that caused my wife or my husband to leave because they couldn't, they didn't wanna be part of this you know, nuclear unit anymore. So I'm not against the virus. I don't care that it's killed 400,000 people. It negative affected me because they shut down my business or they said I couldn't work, you know? And I get that. I think that that's an argument. When you live through that um, and someone could take you by the hand, lead you to an ICU and you see these people dying and you're like, I don't know these people. I know me and I know that I'm the most important person in my universe I might not be the center of the universe, but I'm the center of my universe. <laughs> and I don't like how the measures screwed me. 
And some people will say, you know, I, I got it. I got the virus because 25 million people have gotten it or whatever. And I got over it. Why can't everyone else just be like me? And it's, it doesn't make sense to, to know that, you know, people in their 40s, people in their 30s have gotten it and they just got a bad case and they croaked. And it's like people just like you have gotten it and died. Like, is that a weakness on their part? I think that people ascribe their ability to overcome sickness with strength. But really, at the end of the day, a lot of the times it's just luck of the draw. If you have grade four pancreatic cancer, there's no amount of strength that's going to save you. You're going to die. Uh, and I don't think that people realize that. That's why I hate when they call it like a fight with cancer. It's like, yeah, the cancer is going to be making most of those decisions in the end of, you know, your, the trajectory of your illness. I think it's a very, very good point, David, because I think there's reasons for both sides on why people do what they do. Uh, one, wear a mask. The other is they get angry because the, their livelihood is being disrupted. And that's, that's, that's a strong decision, too. And so it's kind of like two evils uh, pitting against each other and, or two negatives. And you have to address both. And uh, we're in a, our country is in a very challenging situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, in order to get through this thing, we have to understand each other's anger and come together and say, let's, let's find a solution together to get through this. Uh, and, and I guess, again, getting back to unity, what we started with, when we start looking at if we come together and have a unified solution to the economy and the pandemic uh, and, and solving the pandemic should not make the economy worse, solving the economy should not make the pandemic worse, but maybe together we can have something uh, to solve both of them. Uh, how do we do that? Uh, we got to come together in a united effort to understand each other and, and somehow go move forward. And, uh, and so whether uh, what, what our uh, administration is doing is right or wrong, they're trying to do mm -hmm. what's right. And we should, we should join to make the thing work as best we can. Yeah, at least there's a plan now or someone that sort of wants to do the job. It seemed like there wasn't for a while. That's what we're hearing. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just fake news. <laughs> well, whatever it is, we have a plan. It's being promoted and it's, there's an appeal to join. And so again, if we're united to have a more perfect union coming together, let's beat these challenges. Let's beat the pandemic. Let's beat the, the economy. Let's do both of them. Let's, like he says, we've never failed if we come together and do this together. And we may not agree with how to do it, but if we agree that we're going to solve this thing, well, then however you do it, uh, we're going to get through it. Yeah, and I think, uh, back to my friend, It's I think it's important to understand that when people, they're anti-mask or anti-vaccine, they just want everyone to get back to normal, they have a reason for that. Yep. Uh, it's not just they're embracing ignorance. They, they genuinely have a reason for feeling the way they feel, and... What's difficult is that 
I just want everything to get back to normal. Are you going to get vaccinated? Hell no. It's like, well, you're acting against your own goal, you know, because it comes to the point where I'm going to rebel against everything that I'm told that I need to do to get over this. And then it's like, oh, we have a way that we can get over this. And you say, I'm, I don't want to do that. It's like, well, then we'll, we'll never get over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's difficult uh, when you sort of pit it as anything I'm told I'm not going to do because I don't trust it. And then people work day and night for nine months, a year, to develop something that will get us out of this. And you say, I don't trust that either. And it's like, I thought you wanted to get out of this. Uh, it's like, oh, I don't take any of that stuff. I don't need any of that stuff. I've already had it twice. And it's like, do you buckle your seatbelt when you're in the car? Or are you stronger? You've already been in an accident, like, and it didn't kill you. I don't know. It's just, it's bizarre. But I think it's important to take a little time to sort of step back and understand people's perspectives. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's, there, there's reasons for their anger, the reasons for their decisions. You may not agree with them. And they may not be very logical because <laughs> uh, sometimes people will make a decision for short-term gain with uh, long-term disasters. And uh, the, and uh, and I think that's what some people are doing. But we can understand why, because they're hurting. Yeah, they're like, hurting and afraid. It's like last year I, I sort of compared coronavirus as a timeline compacted version of climate change. So like Florida would be like, we're going to open everything up. Look, our cases are down. And like when we opened up yesterday and it's like, yeah, your cases are down because you just had a two week quarantine, you know, and it's like, we've been open up for five days and our cases are down. This is genius. We never should have closed down. And then a month later, it's like, oh God, our cases are out of control. And it's like, what did you think was going to happen? I, but people... They, they have a hard time uh, understanding moving averages, leading indicators, trailing indicators. So how can you convince someone to take action on climate change when you couldn't even convince someone to take action on something that will ravage your healthcare system in one month? You know, let alone 10 years from now, this is going to be really bad. I think what we saw last year is this is going to overrun your healthcare system in, in a month. You said, no, it won't. We opened up a week ago. Everything's still fine, <laughs> you know? So I think that people are too short-sighted to really to confront a lot of these issues. Yeah, you really, you really have to plan long-term and act short-term. But acting short-term can't undermine the long-term goals. And you have to think both. Uh, and usually there is a win-win type of a, a approach. Uh, sometimes it's a compromise. Uh, but you can't sacrifice long-term for short-term goals or short-term goals for long-term goals. Usually people don't do that. Uh, but you have to think of both. And to me, that's just the logic of, of life. Uh, think, Act short-term, but plan long-term. But don't let the long-term undermine the short-term and vice versa. So again, in principle. <laughs> We're talking yeah. principle again. But how do you do that? Uh, it's different for every person, and there's n never an easy way to, to solve things. It's like Yogi Berra said, uh, in theory, there's no difference between practice and theory. In practice, there is. <laughs> okay. Yogi Berra. <laughs> 
he, as far as I'm concerned, he's the great philosopher of the 20th century. Uh-huh. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's brilliant. I don't care what people say. <laughs> in my books, he's one of the greatest philosophers we've had in a long time. Because so he's right. Should we do our final segment? Yes. Okay, so, so the first episode we had you try to guess internet acronyms. Oh. <laughs> okay. And then last episode we tried to have you guess teen slang. Yeah. Uh, I think today we're going to go, uh, we're going to make it easier on you. I, I've pulled up the top 100 singles of 1967. The Summer oh. of Love. Okay. So we're going to go through uh, 20 of them. You would have been a teenager, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to give you the title of the song. You can let me know if you know the artist. If you don't, I'll give you the artist. But if you know the tune, you can hum it if you want. <laughs> sound sound good? I won't, I'm not good with the artist or the song, but... I'll probably know the tune. Okay. Uh, this is for the year end, 1967. 1967. To Sir With Love. Do you remember that song? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. To Sir With Love. That's uh, from the movie. And uh, Lulu sang it. You got it. Yeah. And it was about, uh, I think Sidney Poitier was in the movie. And uh, it was about a teacher. It was a black teacher that uh, that made these troubled youth believe in themselves. You know, it was, it was a it was a good movie. And then she sang the song. It was a great song. It was it was a real tearjerker. Okay, to start with love. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the letter by the Box Tops. Do you remember that one? The letter. Uh, I remember the Box Tops. Uh, actually, I probably know the song. I don't I don't recognize the the title. Neither do I. Uh, I saw that one, and I don't recognize this next one. Ode to Billy Joe. Oh, Bobby, yeah. By Bobby Gentry? By, by Bobby Gentry, yeah. Ode to Billy Joe. Uh, yeah, that's down on the uh, Wachamacoochee River, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> About he, they threw something off the bridge, and oh, yeah. Uh, if I start, if I heard this, if, if you started the song, I could probably finish it. Yeah, sing it. <laughs> songs are like that. Yeah, but it yeah it it was a, it was a ballad, it was a ballad uh, to uh, uh, she jumped off a Tallahatchie bridge. Oh yeah, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie bridge. Okay, I know that's that it. One now. That's it. Yeah, the Tallahatchie. Yeah, so to Billy Joe. Uh, that's Billy Joe. Number Billy four. Billy Joe McAllister. <laughs> Billy Joe <laughs> McAllister. Okay, let's go on. Number four, <laughs> Windy. Do you remember that song? Oh yeah. Oh yeah! I didn't know that until you started singing it. Now I know it's sung it. That's Wendy, who's peeping out. It's lighter than air. Okay, I have heard that. I have heard that one. The Seekers sang that. The Seekers made it popular out of Australia. No, the Association. Well, the Seekers sang it too. I want. Is it the same song? Oh, the association. It's the same song. The, okay. The, the association was introduced it, but the Seekers uh, sang it too. 
Okay, yeah. Well, the association took it to number four on the chart, so I'm assuming that okay. one's the most popular. Okay. This one's easy. I'm a believer. Yeah. Uh, uh, was that the Beach Boys? Nope. I'm a believer. Oh, that's that's the uh, the uh, uh, the Beatles. Nope. Oh, I guess I don't. I know the song. Davy Jones, Mickey Dolan. Oh, the monkeys. The monkeys. Do you know I'm who? A... Do you know who wrote that song? Nope. They called him the Jewish Elvis. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I know who it is. I can see his face. Um, not good with names. Uh, he sang a lot of songs, too, about Caroline. Sweet Caroline. Sweet Caroline, yeah. Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond, yeah. Neil, Neil, Neil Diamond, Diamond wrote I'm a Believer, but the monkeys oh, took really? it. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. The monkeys yeah. took it to number five on the year-end Billboard chart 1967. This one... Okay. I don't know. I kind of think you were a little too square to be listening to this band in 1967. <laughs> light My Fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Yeah, I know that one. Do you know who sang uh, it? I don't know. The Trogs? Not the know. Windows, but the... I don't know. The. Uh... Yeah, I remember the song. Not the Windows. Come on, baby, light my fire. The Windows? Not the Windows. The... They have the light, a not... the paint. They have a knob and you open them. Doorknobs. <laughs> the, do the doors. <laughs> oh, the doors. Come on, baby, light my fire. Ba -da 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 -da. Yeah, I remember that song. A lot of people sang that. Okay, we're almost through the top ten here. Uh, Ooh. Something Stupid. Yeah, I don't remember that one. It was Frank and Nancy Sinatra. I don't remember that one either. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, again, it's yeah, they were singing to each other. Oh, I remember that song. Uh, as about uh, they were talking, and then I said something stupid, and and uh, they didn't, but I love you. Yeah, I remember the song, aren't they? They're father daughter, aren't they? Uh, Frank Nancy is Frank's daughter, yeah, but it was like a love song they were singing to each other. No, they were they were like giving advice and saying, oh, okay. I was doing this. I, then I said something stupid, but I love you. You know, like, like I shouldn't have said that because I really do love you. Mm -hmm. I kind of, at least that's what I took away from the song. You know, it's been it's been a number of years since I heard it. All right, number eight on the charts, year end, nineteen sixty seven. You were a teenager. Oh no, yeah, you would have been a teenager still, right? Yeah, I was a teenager. I was in high school. Um, happy together. Oh yeah, who did it? So happy together. Uh, was that the monkeys again? Close. It's an animal named band. Imagine me and you. I do. I think about your day and night. It's, it's only, only right. So happy together. Is that the animals? Nope. So happy together. The turtles. The turtles. Because <laughs> they had so many bands back then. Everyone was singing something. Yeah. And like, one hit wonders. They just sang one time. That was it. Like this next band is a one hit wonder. And I wouldn't have gotten this one. I don't know if I would have even gotten the turtles. Because like you say, 
there's the monkeys, there's the turtles, there's there's all these bands, and you're like, the animals. And it's like, who was, which one was which? But number nine on the charts, Groovin'. Groovin' on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, oh, who sang it? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I have no idea. Groovin'. Yeah. The Young Rascals. Oh, the Young Rascals. Oh, yeah. Well, the, uh, I remember them. No, they had more than one song. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They they uh, they played off of the uh, '30s Rascals. You know, they were not the same, but they they kind of had that uh, genre of, you know, the uh, the movie from the Rascals. The Little Rascals. The Little Rascals, yeah. They weren't the same, but they were just kind of like played off of that. Because that's what I thought. I don't know. I wasn't there. I mean, I wasn't in those circles but are you thinking of the archies who played off of archie comics and they did sugar uh, 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 uh. no no the the young rascals the young rascals yeah because they were talking about the little rascals okay number 10 oh it's the last one uh we could go even more (laughs) (laughs) okay we can go to 20 if you want it may get into something that i really know number 10 you know this one can't take my eyes off of you can't take my eyes off of you. You're just too good to be true. You're like like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. That long, that's a Righteous Brothers. No. We just watched a movie about this guy. Oh, we did? Uh, Clint Eastwood movie. Clint Eastwood, huh? directed it. Clint Eastwood directed it. Oh, I guess I don't know. We just saw uh, this movie like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The movie was called Jersey Boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, Frankie Valley. That's Frankie Valley. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know that song. That song will always, for me, uh, the memory in my mind is that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Where Susie and Jeff go to Ted Danson's birthday party, or maybe it's Ted and Mary's anniversary. Oh. Do you remember? And the daughter starts singing. The daughter sings that song. And it's like, uh-huh. we got you a gift. Sammy's going to sing you a song. And she starts singing, you're just too good to be true. And Larry's like, that's your gift? And he, run- <laughs> he runs out and ushers her off the stage during the middle of the chorus. When she's like, I love you. He's like, that's good enough. Yay, everyone give her a round of applause. <laughs> and Susie is so mad at Larry because he didn't let Sammy finish. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Larry David, he's, I tell you, I don't know. I guess we're supposed to talk uh, on this podcast, we're supposed to talk about ourselves, but I identify with Larry David so much. You know, like, hey, what is he doing? I do that all the time. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, I like, what's, what's the deal with those shorts? You know, what's the deal with those sandals? But anyway, um, yeah. Uh, the songs in the 60s, I remember a lot more than the songs in the 90s because mm-hmm. I was working then and I didn't listen to songs. Yeah, I think that everyone listens to more music in their teenage years than in their 20s even. I think that a lot of people's musical foundations, I think I saw an article, uh, Spotify says they have user data on users' ages if you use Spotify. And the average age or the average year 
of someone's favorite song came out when they were 13 years old. Hmm. Like this. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember. Uh, uh, I mean, you're talking about 1967. Well, let's go back. Uh, I, I remember uh, um, the uh, Tennessee Waltz. I was waltzing with my darling to the Tennessee Waltz. Anyway, that was terrible. But the <laughs> Tennessee Waltz, that was from, I think, Patty Page. We'll do uh, Billboard I, uh, Top Song 65. Uh, it was earlier than that. I know, but you'll probably oh, get more oh. 1965 than you will oh, 1950. I, I think, honestly, in your teenage years, you'll do better than, oh, I remember a song when I was seven. Yeah, I remember a song when I was seven, too. I remember songs from the 80s, but I'd probably mm -hmm. do better in the mid-90s. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Probably so. Because you listen to more music back then because you're more social. Yeah. When you're seven years old, your social uh, uh, circle is very small. Uh, and also, it's more personal toward you. In your teens, it's much. It's starting to broad, starting to broaden out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you're 20 and above, you start your social moves to your work mm -hmm. yeah and no one cares what music you listen to i think in, as a teenager it's like what are you listening to these days no one asks you that the second you turn 22 yeah no one cares well when you get older they say what are you listening to as i'm listening to the news <laughs> <laughs> you know what song oh i don't know actually when i'm older i use music for different purposes and uh i listen to a lot of classic music now I think that people often too they use music nostalgically, you know, to remember oh. remember people or events in their lives. I'll but, turn on the '60s songs and I'll remember. I was doing this when that happened. I was doing this when that. I heard that. I remember this person back in high school. I did, you know. I think people do it all the time, don't you? Mm-hmm. All right, you want to try some 1965? Okay. Year end. Willie Bully. Do you remember that song? Oh, yeah, bully, bully. Yeah, that's Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Good job. That is Sam the Sham bully, and the Pharaohs. Bully. Oh, I remember a story about that, but I don't want to tell it. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 he. I'll tell it. He also, Sam the uh, Sham, whatever they, what they say. Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. He wrote this other song about uh, the camel, or some camel. Uh, and so we were in, uh, my cousin... Back then, they had these booths where you could do your own recording, and it was at a, it was an arcade. So my cousin was there. She says, "Go in there, Mike. Go in there and sing their song. Sing their song is okay." So I go in there. I close the door behind me, and I start singing the song. But in this song, Sam the Sham has sound like a camel, we go, <laughs> like that. You know, I was really loud, and so my cousin opened the door behind me. I didn't know it. And everybody in that room could hear me sounding like a camel. I was a teenager. And so I stopped, I turned around, and everybody in that room was staring at me. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. So I'll never forget Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Clyde the Camel. Clyde anyway. the Camel. Yeah. So let's hear that camel sound one more time. We're almost done. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it was worse than that anyway. So another I one. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, we got five minutes left. We could sort of wrap it up if you want. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to uh, maybe I can uh, get on YouTube and find that song. 
Yeah, if we play copyrighted music, though, it's it makes oh. it difficult. Yeah, well, my Clyde the Camel is not copyrighted. I can tell you that. <laughs> All right, we'll go, through, we'll go through the top five in 1965, and then we'll wrap it up <clears throat> for the morning, okay? Okay, okay. Sugar Pie Honey Bunch, I Can't Help Myself. Uh, da, da, da. Uh, I kind of know the song. I couldn't sing it. Sugar, Sugar Pie, pie honey, bunch. honey Bunch. Yeah, you I know, know that I love you. Yeah. I can't help myself. That's it. You're right. <laughs> Audio settings. I'm a. Uh... I can see. I can see it on my on my screen. Oh yeah. It's... Huh. See, when you talk and I talk over you, which I mean, I probably shouldn't talk over you, but it ducks your audio. You know what I'm saying? It lowers your volume yep. when I'm talking. So I got to just make sure I don't talk over you. Okay, let's keep going. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no, that's the uh, satisfaction. Uh, I can't think of their names. I can see them. Uh, the Rolling Stones. That's the Rolling Stones. I think that, I think it, oh, that, one's, that one's way easier than Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. You pulled that one out pretty easily. Uh, you were on my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, you were on my mind. I can't think of how, if, it, if I know how it starts, I could sing the whole song. I don't know. That's I know you were always on my mind. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe I should have left you. Let me see. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. You are on my mind. You okay. are on my mind. One last one, and then I think we'll wrap it up. You okay. Got, you got this one. You've lost that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling, and it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Boom. I I don't know who sang it. Who sang it? You know who sang it. You've lost that love. Is that Elvis Presley? No. They sang oh. uh The Righteous Brothers. The Righteous Brothers. Yeah. We got to end They're on good. a. Yeah, they, they were, were good. They were good. They were really good. Unchained we melody. We got to end on a. Oh, well, you'll get this next one, too. So we'll end on the next one. Downtown. Yeah, downtown. That was the secrets. Down. No, it wasn't secrets. Downtown. Everything's great when you're downtown. No finer place for sure. Downtown. Everything's downtown. waiting for you. <laughs> downtown. Yeah. Do you know who sang uh, it? Um, no. Patulia. I mean, I'll... You, Patulia Clark. Patulia Clark, yeah. I wouldn't have got that. All right, we got to end on one that you get right. Help. <laughs> help with the Beatles? Yeah. Help. Help, I need somebody. Help, I need somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can't you hear my heartbeat? I don't know that one. Herman's Hermits. Herman's Hermits. Oh, I, I don't remember the title. If you sang the song, I probably heard it a million times. Yeah, probably. Crying in the Chapel. Do you know this one? Oh, that's Elvis Presley. That's Elvis I Presley. To, I used to hear that going to sleep every night. You saw me crying in the chapel. 
So that can't be copyrighted because that was way off tune. Yeah, or I mean, that might be a. Is that a traditional song? No, that's a rock song, no. right? Oh uh, yeah. The right, tears then. I shed were tears of joy. <laughs> tears of joy. Da 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 da. Yeah. Uh, so last, I got that one. Last one. You might not get this one. Uh, it's a Motown group. My girl. My girl. <clears throat> oh yeah, that was in. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Was that in the uh, Forrest Gump movie? Uh, um, probably. There was a lot of songs in the Forrest Gump movie. I think it was. My girl. I, I know the song. Guess you say. You say. You can make, make me, me feel this way. way. My girl. My, my girl. girl. Tap my girl. My girl. My girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Temptations. Oh, the Temptations. Oh, they were good, too. They was They were so good. So many good groups back then. Mm-hmm. So many good groups today. There's a lot of good groups today. There's a lot of good singers today. Oh man, the, watching the YouTube and some of these young people—they're—they're they're awesome. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talent in this world. Yeah, a lot of talent. And obviously, talent. we're two of them. We're two of the talented people. Did you just hear us singing those songs? It's like you're listening to a record. Very memorable. <laughs> well, that's, we're you at an hour. Get it. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. It's been over an hour. An hour and two minutes. Uh-huh. Not bad at all. That had was some, good. That was fun, David. We had some technical difficulties, but I think we'll uh, work through those tomorrow. And, uh, yeah. So back tomorrow, same time? Yeah. Same time. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, I think I'll get the website set up this week, so check us out at sonsofsequoia.com or on YouTube at the Sons of Sequoia channel. Uh Y'all have been a great audience. Until next time, bye. And keep on talking, but listen more than you talk. How's that sound? More listening, less talking. More tea, less coffee. Keep talking, but (laughs) listen more than you talk. Sounds good. Okay. See ya. Bye.